Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Pro and college football is now in full swing, and we're coming up on the last couple weeks of the baseball season, which means you need bet online more than ever before. You can use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take. It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is Wednesday, September 21st, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in, however and whenever it is that you may be listening We have got a fun little show coming at you here today. Coming up at the very end, we're going to have a weird crossover episode, a weird uh, combining of worlds here on this podcast where you're going to get to hear Blake Jude, our friend Stripe who joins us every single week, come on the podcast along with our friend Juju Talk Sports from the Slump Buster YouTube channel, which he and I do frequently, and we happened to do with Blake Jude last week. It's a crossover episode. Fun, magical, Juju and Blake are going to be on the show at the same time. It's a wonderful, magical world that we live in here. So we'll have that coming up later on in the show, our first, well, I guess we've done it twice, our second ever crossover event between Juju and Blake, our two most frequent, two of our four most frequent co-hosts, here on the Take It Easy podcast. We're going to have them combine and mix worlds together here on the show. That's coming up later on in the show. Uh, We'll talk about Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. This was recorded before they beat Cal's, but we'll talk about Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. We'll talk about Scott Frost a little bit more because Blake Jude's going to come on on Thursday, and we've already done uh, some talk about this on the show, whether it be with Razor or just myself laughing at Nebraska a few weeks ago. We've laughed at that a little bit, but we'll do some more of that coming up later on the show. Heavy college football talk between Blake Jude and Juju and myself. Before we get to that, I did say for the past two days, and we finally got into it now, if sometime during the week we were going to do a full Trey Lance episode because... Talking about this story is something that I couldn't do in 10 minutes or in five minutes on an NFL Monday. Yesterday, we had uh, our friend Cam come on, and that was an hour and a half podcast, so we kind of just kicked that down the road. This is the moment where the full Trey Lance episode comes into place. It's actually, now that we're recording this on Wednesday, well, really, we're recording this on Tuesday evening, but now that we're like 48 to 72 hours removed 
from the Trey Lance injury. I've actually gotten to see how a lot of people have reacted to the Trey Lance injury, and I like I'm cynical about the sports fandom stuff. And at the same time, I was stunned that people went to the path of the 49ers are better with Jimmy Garoppolo than with Trey Lance as soon as Trey Lance got hurt. And I know that like part of that might be just who I was seeing talk about it. It's what we talked about yesterday with Cam, which are like the sports antagonists, uh, you know, people who traffic in people who want to believe a certain set of facts about sports and like the idea of the internet being all, but maybe that's just who I was listening to. Like in terms of pure analysis, I'm always hard on Jimmy Garoppolo because I'm just kind of tired of Jimmy Garoppolo. Juju brought up this great point. Our friend Juju Talk Sports, who again, you're going to hear later on in the show. He brought up this great point with me in text where um, he brought up the fact that like I'm a sports nihilist. And so as a sports nihilist, wouldn't it be chaotic if Jimmy Garoppolo played well? And I just realized that I'm just tired of Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, it's just so much talk about a quarterback that does not merit the level of talk. And a big part of that, as we've talked about before when we did our Sports Radio Wednesday like three weeks ago, is that Jimmy Garoppolo merits so much talking because he is the former heir apparent of Tom Brady and now the quarterback of the 49ers, which behind the Dallas Cowboys, Patriots and 49ers are the two biggest national brands when it comes to football. Like you're going to find 49ers, Patriots and Cowboys fans on all parts of the country. And because of that, the broad appeal means that those topics do well for sports talk shows and their fans engage more and you're likely to have more engagements with toxic fans because there are toxic fans for every sports team. It's just for those teams, 49ers, Patriots, and Cowboys, there's just more of them. And therefore, you can antagonize a little bit more, poke the bear a little bit, and they'll come out and uh, either support or just play into the antagonism. But also, there's just a lot of 49ers fans, and so it, it's broad topics that end up bringing uh, people to sports talk stations, and it's why you hear a lot of talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, larger than what would be warranted. Because we don't talk about the 49ers quarterback battle the same way that we talk about Pittsburgh's quarterback battle, or the same way we talk about the Cleveland Browns, or the way we talk about the Carolina Panthers, who had a very similar quarterback battle between Baker Mayfield. Well, I guess you could go back to like Sam Darnold and Cam Newton, but we don't talk about them the same way that we talk about the 49ers. We don't even talk about the Jets, which obviously the Jets are shit, but like New York is a weird animal where the teams are bad and they still are relevant because New York is the largest metro area by a significant margin in the United States. Even the Jets quarterback talk with Zach Wilson doesn't do what Jimmy Garoppolo talk does just because the 49ers are a national brand in part. And I guess this is a good place to insert our Jimmy Garoppolo song because we made a parody song for Jimmy Garoppolo back in February that's gotten way more use than I ever thought it would because he's still somehow a 49er. Garoppolo drops back to throw you're gonna lose the game the seasons come and seasons go the Niners need a change if you don't throw check downs you're gonna take a sack 
Jimmy G is warming up, yeah, he's your quarterback. No, don't throw it. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart, and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback. So when I'm going to talk about Trey Lance, I just kind of want to map out the thought process behind building out a talking point around Trey Lance, because there's a lot to unpack here. And the first thing that I went to is the fact that 12 months from now is the next time we're going to see Trey Lance play football, is the time where we're going to begin to have a representative sample size of what Trey Lance is going to be as a quarterback. And I'm the person who believed that From the very beginning, Trey Lance should have started week one for the San Francisco 49ers in 2021, and they should have never looked back from there. If you're giving up three first-round picks to move up to number three, and you have the talented roster that the 49ers have, which for people who haven't followed my thoughts on the 49ers, the fact that the 49ers have been able to go to a Super Bowl and come within a dropped interception of another Super Bowl within the last three years is the great exception across NFL history. The fact that they have four pro bowlers on offense and five pro bowlers on defense within the last three seasons, and they've never had a quarterback that can't just manage them through a game or be at the at best Jimmy Garoppolo in 2019 was a tier three quarterback, was as good as, say, like Derek Carr is for the Raiders. Like at Jimmy Garoppolo's best, he was a tier three quarterback. And for most of the time, I've seen three playoff games now where the 49ers have disguised Jimmy Garoppolo completely out of the offense. It was the Packers game in 2019. It was the Cowboys game in 2021. And it was the uh, Packers game in 2021. They just schemed Garoppolo out of the offense, wouldn't let him throw the football. They hid him and used Trent Williams and Juszczyk and Debo and Kittle to move the offense because they have four pro bowlers on the offensive side of the ball. And so what I was interested in from that point is like there is very little precedent for a player drafted as high as Trey Lance to come in and immediately be bad. And so if you're giving up the equivalent of what, I mean, if you're giving up about the same value as what the Seahawks gave up for Russell Wilson 
to get Trey Lance, which is three first round picks. The Seahawks gave up two first, or the, the Broncos gave up two first and two seconds. But let's say you're giving up basically the same value for Trey Lance as Russell Wilson. You should play him immediately and start to find out what you have because the reason you're making that upgrade is for a new quarterback. And the 49ers didn't do that. They played Garoppolo all season except when Garoppolo got hurt. And even when Garoppolo had a separated shoulder, they still played him in, uh, against uh, the the Rams at the end of the regular season, the playoffs against the Cowboys, the playoffs against the Packers, and the playoffs against the Rams. They still played Jimmy Garoppolo with a torn shoulder over uh, our buddy Trey Lance who they gave up Russell Wilson levels of value to acquire. And so from the very beginning, I'm of the opinion that you should start the first round quarterback if you believe that the quarterback is worth the first round pick. Clearly the Steelers evaluate Kenny Pickett as a second round pick because otherwise he wouldn't be the third string quarterback while the team only scores 14 points in two games on offense. And the San Francisco 49ers turned the team over to Trey Lance were now ready to give him the full team and kept Jimmy Garoppolo as the backup quarterback, which immediately led to calls for Jimmy Garoppolo to take over. And Trey Lance never got to play before he got hurt. He played a, a game of slot ball in Chicago and one quarter in Seattle before he got hurt. Just no representative sample size on Trey Lance. And the reason I was so adamant about Garoppolo getting moved is, one, it seemed obvious that Jimmy Garoppolo was going to get moved before his surgery, Two, I didn't think that Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers would come to a compromise that would allow Garoppolo to stay. And three, the odds were so small. It was very, very, very improbable that the team that would... Even if you acknowledge the fact that Garoppolo is not going to be a starter, the odds that the... Remember how the 49ers were waiting for a team to have a major injury to trade Garoppolo for possibly higher than a third-round pick because they get a third-round pick in compensatory value if Garoppolo leaves in free agency after this year? If the 49ers had waited for a team to have a catastrophic injury, the odds were so improbable that the 49ers themselves would be the team that had the catastrophic injury. Like, Zach Wilson got hurt, he's going to be back. Dak Prescott's hurt, he's going to be back. Trey Lance is hurt, he's not going to play for 360 days. The odds were so improbable that the 49ers themselves would be the team whose quarterback had a catastrophic injury. And people can play like um, Captain Hindsight and be like, oh, the way that they run Trey Lance meant he was more susceptible to injuries. I'm basically doing the simple calculation of all 32 teams had a near equal chance of their quarterback suffering a catastrophic injury. It's not exactly like that, but it's not that much of a difference. We're talking about like single percentage chances, like the difference between a 3 and 4% chance that the 49ers were the team that had the catastrophic injury. And so that ended up coming true. It was incredibly improbable. And the 49ers are very lucky to have Garoppolo as the backup. And when it comes to Trey Lance, that's the calculation I've done and and most people have done the calculation on when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance and that dynamic the 49ers had built out. So when it comes to Trey Lance, this was something that clicked in my head after the injury went down and I spent the last like three days trying to map out a a full-scale conversation about the 49ers and Trey Lance. And part of this was informed by Bomani Jones, who on Monday, his podcast, he basically came out with like, 49ers made a bad trade. 
like talking about Lance getting injured, blah, blah, blah. Like we're football is weird. We're just totally immune to people getting injured. We just don't, we're just like totally numb to the idea of people shattering their legs or Dane Jackson for the bills, like having his head touch the back of his neck. Or, I'm sorry, have his head touch the back of his like upper back. And we're just like totally immune to like, oh, he's going to get hospitalized and ambulance is going to take him off. And then we're going to go back to watching Stefan Diggs catch 55 yard touchdowns. Like even in that football reality, I didn't think people would just Monday morning go right into the, well, you know, the 49ers are better with Jimmy Garoppolo than Trey Lance and Trey Lance is a bust because now he's only going to play in four football games in two years after the 49ers spent Russell Wilson levels of value to acquire him. And the whole point of getting Trey Lance, according to Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, who are the the coach and general manager, prime decision makers for the 49ers, the whole point was that as Bosa was going to go on a new contract, as Kittle was going to get a new contract, Fred Warner, Eric Armstead, uh, you could go to Debo Samuel, who just got an extension. As all these people, Trent Williams is making $30 million one year. As all of these players get record-setting extensions, they were going to find value within the margins at the quarterback position. And so they gave up three first-round picks to get the quarterback. And they said publicly that was the reason. They've repeated it over and over. The reason is if we're paying all of these stars top dollar, we have to find value at different positions. And this is the job of the general manager. I was going to come back and talk about the Cardinals and Broncos and Cowboys and how those teams have to find value within the margins as Kyler Murray makes $45 million, Russell Wilson makes $45 million, Dak Prescott makes $42 million. You have to find value within the margins or your team is going to make the playoffs and lose to the teams who do with better quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen. And... When it comes to the 49ers, I thought it was interesting because the 49ers are this great exception across the last decade in the NFL. Like the the draft record of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan is equivalent to the draft hits of John Schneider and Pete Carroll with the Seahawks when they were building the Legion of Boom. And we think of that team as like on that alone, Pete Carroll might make the NFL Hall of Fame. John Schneider might make the NFL Hall of Fame. One of them, if not both of them, have a chance to make the Hall of Fame just based on how they drafted and built the Legion of Boom. Since then, they've they've drafted two All-Pro players in the last six years, and one is the punter. They drafted an All-Pro punter and DK Metcalf, and those have been the only major draft hits for the Seahawks. But then in the first five years of the John Schneider-Pete Carroll era in Seattle— They drafted Earl Thomas, they drafted Cam Chancellor, they drafted Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett, uh, Bobby Wagner, they drafted Russell Wilson, they they signed and traded for Marshawn Lynch. Like they, They got seven Hall of Famers within five years to play on the Seattle Seahawks. And just based on those five years alone, there's a case for those two to make the Hall of Fame or one of them to make the Hall of Fame because of how good the Legion of Boom was. 49ers have that same draft record. 49ers got Fred Warner in the third round of the draft. 49ers got um, Trent Williams for a third round pick in a trade. They drafted Nick Bosa. They drafted Eric Armstead in the second round. Uh, They drafted, obviously, uh, Debo Samuel in the second round. George Kittle was a fifth round pick. The 49ers have hit on all-pro, all-pro, all-pro player. DeForest Buckner was a top 10 pick that they ended up trading away after the fact. Like The 49ers have hit on player after player after player, 
and they've still had misses in between. They missed on Mike McGlinchey. They missed on Solomon Thomas. And it's so interesting that they have that draft record that they basically just started saying to hell with first-round picks. The 49ers basically said, we are going to find value by not paying first-round picks and using all those first-round picks on one quarterback. And... Now that quarterback has, and by the way, this was the quarterback also who played at North Dakota State, because remember the COVID season, Trey Lance played one scrimmage game, and that was it in 2020. So since 2019, Trey Lance played one college football game and four NFL games, two last year, two this year. So Trey Lance has played five games from 2019 until what will be September of 2023. That's four years He's going to play five football games. And the 49ers put all of their resources into that player. And my basic conclusion that I draw from this is that the 49ers are just crypto bros. Basically, the conclusion I've drawn from this whole experience, the 49ers have basically taken the same philosophy as crypto bros for the past three years. Because the 49ers had such excess resources at the end of the pandemic. So think about when the COVID pandemic started. It was March of 2020, but really you could say February of 2020 because those were when the cases were first being reported. March was just when we shut everything down. At that time, the 49ers had just gone to the Super Bowl. They were one completion away from beating the Kansas City Chiefs, and they had just traded DeForest Buckner to the Indianapolis Colts for the 13 pick in the draft where they took Javon Kinlaw. And with those two first round picks that they had because they couldn't pay everybody, they traded DeForest Buckner, signed a Rick Armstead, and they had already signed D Ford. Or sorry, they traded a first round pick for D Ford. I forgot about that. So they traded for D Ford. They signed a Rick Armstead to a five-year extension, and they traded DeForest Buckner to the Colts for Javon Kinlaw. And then the pandemic starts. And in that pandemic draft in 2020, the one that Roger Goodell did from the ESPN studios and in his basement, during the 2020 draft, the Colt, I'm sorry, the, the 49ers took Javon Kinlaw with the Buckner pick, and with their personal draft pick, they selected Brandon Ayuk. And Brandon Ayuk didn't work out the way they had thought, at least for the first two years. He's looking okay now. But the first two years, he didn't work out the way that they had thought when they spent a first-round pick on a wide receiver. Debo Samuel emerged as the number two behind George Kittle instead of Ayuk, who they spent a first-round pick on. So instead of that, their first-round pick, Debo Samuel, turned into a star. And... Eric Armstead had a regression year in 2020. D. Ford turned into one of the worst contracts in the NFL. I mean, it was already really bad in 2019, but by 2020, D. Ford had one of the worst contracts in the NFL. And in 2020, DeForest Buckner made All-Pro with the Indianapolis Colts. His first year in Indy, he made All-Pro. So the 49ers made a mistake with their draft picks in 2020. The 49ers made a mistake by drafting uh, 
Javon Kinlaw, and they made a mistake by extending a Rick Armstead over DeForest Buckner. Both got both were in line for the same contract. They gave it to Armstead. Buckner ended up leaving and going to the Colts. Armstead's been a very a good player, very good player at times. DeForest Buckner has been All Pro, an anchor of the Colts defense. Behind, I mean, him and Darius Leonard, but like DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard are both All Pro players. And the 49ers, after that, and after the 2020 season where everyone got hurt, Garoppolo tore his knee and Kittle got hurt, and they went six and ten. The 49ers traded all of their first round picks for a quarterback that they hadn't seen play in two years, which most people were saying he's a top prospect. Um, people were saying that it, I mean, I, according to Blake Jude and myself, who both agreed on this, it was um, obviously the Trevor Lawrence, number one, Trey Lance could have been number two, but we both agreed it was Justin Fields. Trey Lance was three. Zach Wilson was four. And Trey Lance, all of them were top 10 prospects in that draft class. So they traded up for Trey Lance who they knew at the time had only played one football game in two years, and they knew that Trey Lance wasn't going to play his first season because they were going to keep Jimmy Garoppolo as the starter, and Trey Lance was a developmental project despite the fact that he had played one game in two seasons. And if you're going to trade all of that for a quarterback and then the quarterback is not going to play, well, then the quarterback only has value because a bunch of people have said he has value. Thus, the 49ers are crypto bros. They spent all of their excess resources during the pandemic when, you know, not everyone had money to spend in different places. The 49ers spent all of their excess resources on something that only has value because a lot of people say they have that, say it has value. Like crypto. Trey Lance is Bitcoin. And the 49ers are crypto bros. Like the only reason that San Francisco... Oh, the only reason Trey Lance still holds value is because a bunch of people agree that he has value. They haven't watched him play football. He's played five football games in four years. Like the whole, I mean, you can count preseason games too, but like four regular, he's played five regular season football games in four years. Trey Lance has value because a lot of people say he has value and the 49ers paid three first round picks for that value. And I'm not saying Trey Lance is bad. I still, you heard the song. In fact, I can clip that part of the song. If Trey Lance had played since week one of 2021, the 49ers would have made the Super Bowl. Because no matter how bad Trey Lance is, they probably, the worst they would have to do is disguise him in the playoffs, which is exactly what they did with Jimmy Garoppolo. So like, there's no way he could have been less impactful than Jimmy Garoppolo because Unless he just had a shit game in the playoffs, which is totally possible. It's no indictment of the quarterbacks. There's sometimes you have a shit game. Like, other than that, like, the 49ers just schemed so that Jimmy Garoppolo was hidden in the Cowboys game and the Packers game. Now, the Packers game was a snow game, so, like, obviously take that into account, circumstance, etc. But, like, it couldn't have been worse than Jimmy Garoppolo in 2021. And the 49ers had... Juszczyk, who made a Pro Bowl. Trent Williams, who should according to Football Outsiders, should have won MVP in 2021 because he had the greatest season of any offensive lineman in the history of their grading system. Trent Williams, Kyle Juszczyk, Pro Bowler. George Kittle, Pro Bowler, and best tight end in the NFL, not named Kelsey. And Debo Samuel, Pro Bowler. They had four Pro Bowlers on offense. 
And so, of course, they're like, let's put the ball in Debo's hands. Let's put the ball in Kittle's hands on direct motions. Let's put, uh, let's get use check out in the flat. Like, they basically said, let's hide Jimmy Garoppolo as much as possible and let these people win the game for us. The same way the Rams said, just give the ball to Cooper Cup every time. Stafford, just get it to Cup, get it to Cup, get it to Cup, and they let a game-winning drive in the Super Bowl. Like, that's basically how the 49ers offense ran, and they should have been playing Trey Lance from the beginning because what was the point? I, I just could never fathom what was the point of drafting Trey Lance if not if to wait a year to play him. And the thing that kept getting brought up is the thing that drives me crazy, which is, well, they're sitting him the way the Chiefs sat Mahomes for a season. And I'm like, imagine how good the Chiefs would have been if they had played Mahomes his first season. It's not... It's not like Patrick Mahomes went from being this top 10 pick who was not good enough to start as an NFL quarterback, who then sat a season behind Alex Smith and in the last game of the regular season beat the Denver Broncos while throwing for 300 yards. It's not like Patrick Mahomes went from not being good at football to just magically becoming the greatest quarterback ever. Or it's not like Justin Herbert, who was a top 10 pick, was not able to start as an NFL quarterback, and then sat a single football game, sat a single week, came in in week two for Tyrod Taylor, who got his lung punctured by the the Charger doctors. It's not like Justin Herbert was, in the preseason, not good enough to be an NFL quarterback, sat one game, and then was miraculously the rookie of the year who threw 31 touchdowns because of that one game he sat. No, the Chargers just made a mistake. Chargers made a mistake to sit him the first week of the season and put Tyrod Taylor in. Like, it's just, it's sometimes stupid how we do the analysis on this stuff. Like, Trey Lance should have started week one if the 49ers believed he was worth a top three pick and that they were getting value at the position. And San Francisco did not do that. And then once he was gone, they spent their money on a, on a what's the Chiefs corner? Um... Charvarius Ward, that's who I was thinking of. They spent their money on Charvarius Ward and then just moved Trey Lance into the starting job and then saved $20 million on the cap that wasn't going to get used this year. And San Francisco ended up basically just kind of wafting along with Trey Lance, starting the developmental process this year, and then because of a fluke injury, now the developmental process is set back another year and you've just lost all the value that you were getting by trading three first-round picks at the quarterback position because you just gave up those three first-round picks and all you got in exchange was, well, we don't have to pay the salary cap number for those draft picks, which is the most crypto bro shit I have ever heard. Like, Think about it this way. The 49ers gave up their first-round pick in 2021. They gave up their first-round pick in 2022 and their first-round pick in 2023 to the Dolphins in that trade that allowed them to get the number one pick in the draft. Or sorry, to get the number three pick in the draft to get Trey Lance. By the time that all three of those draft picks are going to be used, Trey Lance will have played four football games for the San Francisco 49ers. And we have no idea if he's a starting quarterback in the NFL or not. Have no idea. Because he hasn't played any representative sample size. They just gave away those picks for cap space, cap space that they didn't even end up using this last year. That's the most crypto bro shit I have ever seen. 
They just spent their money on something that only has value because people say it has value instead of the actual value of the draft picks. And I know that once you spend draft picks, their value goes down because the reason those draft picks have value is because of the possibility that you draft the next Micah Parsons, that you draft the next DeAndre Hopkins, the possibility at pick 12 that you draft the next Aaron Rodgers. Like, that's the reason those draft picks have such value. And after the draft happens, Rashad Bateman can't... It's like taking a a car off the lot. Like, once the Ravens draft Rashad Bateman at 27, the value of that draft pick goes way down. Because Rashad Bateman today... As soon as you draft Rashad Bateman, you can't trade Rashad Bateman for a first-round pick. If you try to trade Rashad Bateman for a first-round pick today, you couldn't do it. Because he's not worth that after he's drafted. He's just another number two wide receiver. But the possibility that a star receiver turns into Justin Jefferson is the reason that that 22 pick has value. Is the the reason that Minnesota or the reason Buffalo gave up a first round pick for Stephon Diggs is because of the possibility that that first round pick would become the next Stephon Diggs and lo and behold it did because it turned into Justin Jefferson. Bills traded the pick that became Justin Jefferson. Bills aren't sad about it at all that they gave up the pick that became Justin Jefferson because Stephon Diggs is as good as Justin Jefferson. And they took the proven commodity over the possibility of the draft pick hitting. Whereas, like, that doesn't always work out. Of course it doesn't. Like, you're not drafting Justin Jefferson with every mid-level first-round pick. And so the 49ers basically just gave up all of those picks because they wanted value at the quarterback position and they didn't want to have to pay, uh, what would it have been? It would have been $5 million for the 11 pick. Last year, they would have had the 24 pick. That were, I guess they would have had the 27 pick. If they, if they picked at 27, that player would have been worth $2 million a year for four years plus a fifth-year option. And then whatever draft pick they get this year will be another somewhere between $2 million and $5 million. So they just wanted to save the $15 million roughly per season on those first-round draft picks and just give it all to Trey Lance, who only makes $7 million, then $8 million, then $9 million, with the hope that Trey Lance would be as good as Russell Wilson because they gave up three first-round picks to get Trey Lance. And so I'm looking at that. I'm like, dude, that's the most crypto bro shit ever because they didn't even spend the money that they saved on getting Trey Lance. This year, they have $20 million in cap space available. All that money that they saved on Jimmy Garoppolo, they just didn't spend it. It's the most crypto bro shit ever that the 49ers ran, and in the end, they still gave up three first-round picks for something that only has value because a lot of people say he has value. Even going into the 2021 draft, and I think that's kind of when I turned on Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of like just caring about the Jimmy Garoppolo analysis. Like when they went into the 2021 draft, Jimmy Garoppolo was offered up for Aaron Rodgers and the number three pick and three first round picks and whatever else. But basically, when people were doing the Trey Lance analysis, they're like, he's the biggest unknown. He's just like Josh Allen in 2018, where he hasn't had top-level coaching, played at a small school, but he's big and mobile and a big-arm quarterback. And, the you know, Trey Lance was a top-10 prospect. It's not like he didn't belong being picked at number three. Him getting picked before Justin Fields was still insane to me because I saw Justin Fields at Ohio State, and I'm like, he might be better than Trevor Lawrence. And... 
Trey Lance belonged at the top of the draft. Trey Lance was worth giving up two first-round picks or three first-round picks, depending on what you valued him at. Like, it was worth the chance at the possibility. But if you knew that was the case, the point isn't to not have him play more. Because if you're getting that guy, everyone who's picked at the top of the draft should have started immediately. Like, all four of those quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, they should have started right away. They should have started week one for their teams because they were drafted so high and their teams invested so much in them. Trevor Lawrence did start week one right away. Zach Wilson did start week one right away. Uh, Justin Fields didn't start, but that was, you know, Matt Nagy got fired for not starting Justin Fields week one. And the owner of the team during their bye week said, you're putting Fields in for Andy Dalton or you're getting fired. And Matt Nagy, if if Matt Nagy had had his way, he would have done Andy Dalton to the very end he would have gone four yards at a time with Andy Dalton into getting fired instead ownership had to tell him that he was going to play Justin Fields which is a bad job by ownership but also Matt Nagy's a bad coach by the way I found Matt Nagy by the way he's apparently back in Kansas City didn't know that was the case but apparently Matt Nagy's back in Kansas City and so the Bears should have started Justin Fields from week one onward, and they started him after week six. And the 49ers just said, we're going to stash Trey Lance for an entire season. And then we're going to turn the team over to him. And of course, they couldn't have predicted the injury. It just is the result of sitting him for a season. So now you're two years in and you have no representative sample size. If Trey Lance had played all of last season and then gotten hurt in 2022, it would have sucked. It wouldn't have sucked as much as now he's hurt for 12 months and we have no representative sample size of how good he is. We have, we are still flying almost as blind as we were when we drafted him at the top of the draft. Obviously, they've seen him in practice. Obviously, they've seen him in preseason games. He couldn't take the mantle from Jimmy Garoppolo during the 2022 season, or the 49ers were so dead set in their ways that Trey Lance was going to come out and ball out, and we were all going to laugh at them for putting Garoppolo... I mean, no, 49ers fans love Jimmy Garoppolo, but I would have laughed at them for... If Trey Lance had been great right out the gate, I would have laughed at them because you would have won a Super Bowl last year if you had put Trey Lance in instead of Jimmy Garoppolo. It couldn't have been worse than Garoppolo, even if he's game-managing last year, but they they chose Garoppolo for whatever the fuck reason they did. And so the 49ers ended up now not having Trey Lance for two full seasons, and they have no representative sample of how good he is. And... That's worse than if he had gotten hurt, but he had played all 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 games last year. If you have a 20-game sample size of what Trey Lance is, you can at least better evaluate the future of your team when he comes back in 2023. Now it's another fucking 12 months of nobody knows shit about how good Trey Lance is. It's 12 more months of people guessing about Trey Lance. And... That's just the stupidest mind bleep I've ever seen. And the best way I can describe it is the same logic as crypto bros. They put all their money in something that only has value because everyone agrees it has value. And then once everyone decides that thing doesn't have value anymore, like people are starting to decide on Trey Lance, 
then there's nothing there for you. Now you've just lost three first round picks, just like crypto bros who didn't sell went from crypto being worth 60, uh, one Bitcoin being worth $60,000 to one Bitcoin today being worth $19,300. That's a 66, no, that's a 68% decline in value from Bitcoin's peak. And so if you took your money, put it in Bitcoin and then didn't sell, your Bitcoin is, has, you've just lost 70% of your wealth or 70% of whatever you put into Bitcoin. Like Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence took his contract in Bitcoin at $22 million. That contract is worth $7.8 million now if Trevor Lawrence didn't sell. Like people who put their money in Bitcoin lost a shit ton of value and the 49ers did that shit because Bitcoin for them was Trey Lance and now they just lost three first round picks. And and the, like obviously Trey Lance could end up being worth three first round picks. Those three first round picks have all been spent now. The Dolphins are going to cash in that last pick in this year's draft. That the 49ers just spent all their money on Bitcoin, and now they are they they st- I mean they're not fucked because the 49ers still have all of the talented players from the past few years. They still have Trent Williams. They still have Use Check. They still have George Kittle. All they have is that they didn't add any reinforcements over the past two years. The 49ers added no reinforcements other than Charvarius Ward as a corner. They added no reinforcements to uh, Eric Armstead, to Fred Warner, to, uh, I mean, I forgot who the really good safety they have is. Is it Ward? Jimmy Ward? Jimmy Ward. uh, They've added Fred Warner and Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward and the four pro bowlers they have on offense. They've added no reinforcements over the last few years. And as a result, the 49ers are going to, they still almost made a goddamn Super Bowl. Like that's the crazy thing. The 49ers still almost made it to the Super Bowl, despite the fact that they added no reinforcements. They had this abundance of wealth because they hit on draft picks better than anyone else was able to hit on draft picks. They had this absolute abundance of wealth and they pissed it all away because they just put it into Bitcoin And because of that, the 49ers are going to be a very good team, just a team that's going to lose in the wild card in the NFC unless they get lucky and play a snow game in Lambeau again. Like, they basically did nothing to reinforce a team that was already good enough to make a Super Bowl. They tried their best. They just kind of got high on their own supply. And if they're going to give up three first-round picks, you might as well have done it for Russell fucking Wilson because at least Russell Wilson is is, is a tangible thing like Trey Lance is still two fucking years later and all three first round picks being spent by the Dolphins that the 49ers gave up to get him two years later Trey Lance is still a fucking project he's you still have no better information you have no representative sample size of how good of a quarterback he is and so everyone's selling because like they they're not going to believe the hype for this long they're not going to wait four years for a representative sample size on Trey Lance. By four years, we know what Tua Tungavailoa is. By four years, by three years, I knew Daniel Jones wasn't good enough to be in the NFL. Like, by four years, we know what these players are. Justin Fields is headed into year three uh, next year, and by then, we should know what Justin Fields is. I'm starting now, this is the second year in Jacksonville, 
for uh, Trevor Lawrence. I'm starting to figure out what Trevor Lawrence is because Trevor Lawrence now is getting a representative sample size with a stable team. And it's still nothing on Trey Lance because he's played five football games in four years. And because you have no representative sample size, you have no idea what you have at quarterback. And all of your value is gone. All the value of getting Trey Lance in the first place is gone. And the 49ers are basically, I mean, I I keep saying this, they're basically crypto bros that just lost 70% because Bitcoin crashed. Trey Lance coin crashed. Like, the the crypto bros lost all their first-round picks, and they've gotten nothing in return for them. They've gotten four fucking games, and one of them he got hurt in the first quarter. They've gotten four games, which tells you nothing about how good the quarterback is, in two seasons. And even if he again, even if he had gotten hurt, it still would have been better to have had a twenty-game sample size going into year three, so you at least had a better idea of what Trey Lance was. And the 49ers are just—I mean, the, the value's gone now. Like it's just like kind of playing hindsight twenty twenty on this shit. And the best example I can think of—I try and make things a little more clear and obvious. The 49ers are just crypto bros, and Trey Lance is Bitcoin. They spent all their extra value because they had all these players and all these picks. Uh, obviously, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, and Fred Warner and Jimmy Ward are four Pro Bowlers on defense, and they had a Rick Armstead. I mean, they had DeForest Buckner, which is nine, and or sorry, that's five Pro Bowlers are all Pro players on defense. And then on offense, you have Trent Williams, Kyle Uzcheck, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. Those are four more Pro Bowlers. That's nine Pro Bowl players more than any team has in the NFL. And to build around that, and with that team, with no quarterback that has ever had a season better than Derek Carr, they were able to make a Super Bowl and almost win a Super Bowl, and they were able to go to another NFC championship and come within a dropped interception from going back to the Super Bowl. And that's the great exception across NFL history or at least recent NFL history. It's the greatest exception since the Legion of Boom Seahawks that they could find that much value within the margins in the draft. And once all those players no longer have value, their pivot was crypto. Basically, once all those players who were the reason that they went to the Super Bowl in 2019 either got traded, left as free agents, or got signed to long-term extensions, once that happened, they pivoted to crypto. And they got burned because now all those picks are gone. All the players still have the big contracts and you're just another team with a whole bunch of talented players that will be good enough to get you to the playoffs. And if something good breaks your way, like last season, like a snow game in green Bay, you might make another deep playoff run, but you're just betting on exceptionalism when the thing that made you exceptional is now gone. And your next great exceptional pivot was finding value in crypto, and your asses got burned. I'm interested to see where the 49ers pivot to next. (laughs) 
this is a tried and true philosophy that I figured out years ago when I became a, shall we say, a sports nihilist, is that the best beefs to start are with teams who the fan base's expectations are higher than historic performance. So think Chicago Bears. Uh, it used to be New York Giants, but now New York Giants fans kind of like admit that they're sorry. But before they were the people who like got Ben McAdoo fired for being right that Eli Manning was washed and uh, think about your Texas Longhorns historically. I know Texas has kind of changed their tune recently, but historically think about Texas. And the Nebraska Cornhuskers are right there, combined with the fact that Nebraska just plays really boring football and it's just not visually appealing to watch. So uh, Nebraska's easy to uh, to pick on, shall we say. And it's funny to watch Nebraska do dumb shit all the time, but they have infinite resources so they can just spend money all over the place and go four and eight every single year. Okay, well, let's talk about the potential dumb shit that they may have done. They fired Scott Frost after two weeks. What do you make of this situation? I know you know the financials a little bit more. Defer to you on that one. Well, it is technically three weeks, because if you'll remember, Nebraska played in the weird college football week zero that exists for I don't know why. And uh, they went to Ireland and lost to Northwestern, a team that will probably only win three games the entire season. And it might be two because Illinois is actually not that bad. And Nebraska then almost lost to North Dakota University. They didn't really almost lose. It was just tied 17-17 in the third quarter, and they pulled away like any Power 5 team does against uh, a group of five team, or I'm sorry, against an FCS team in North Dakota. And then obviously they lost to Georgia Southern, another Sunbelt team that got a million and a half dollars to beat a Power 5 school like Nebraska. And Nebraska, in terms of dumb shit, Nebraska basically paid an extra $8 million on Scott Frost's buyout to fire him three weeks early, which I'm sure is the thing most people have seen going around Twitter over the past uh, few days since Scott Frost got fired on September 11th, which is the day immediately after losing to Georgia. I think it was like 12 hours after losing to Georgia Southern, he got dismissed. And so Scott Frost gets that extra money. And there are competitive advantages to Nebraska um, firing Scott Frost was at the time after the first four weeks, players can transfer and take a redshirt year and not lose eligibility. So if players enter the transfer portal early, there's a competitive advantage in recruiting, except for yesterday, college football in the NCAA announced that the transfer portal window would not be opening until December this year. So players can announce they're transferring, but they won't be able to transfer for another few months, which still is a competitive advantage for Nebraska to like have players decide now whether they're going to stay or leave because they know the coach is going to get fired instead of like leaving them in limbo. So there's a competitive advantage. I just didn't think the competitive advantage was worth $8 million to Nebraska to not just wait two weeks before they get slaughtered by Oklahoma and fire Scott Frost anyways. So yeah, mm-hmm. Nebraska is kind of just punting on this entire season and they will hire someone who will get a lot of money to coach Nebraska. I don't know exactly who the coach is who it wants to take a lot of money and also wants to coach Nebraska I've the names I've seen connected are like Urban Meyer and Gary Patterson which if you want those guys coaching your team that's not the you're not in a great place when those are your two best options as as a program but uh, I think that 
the Nebraska is just in this weird place where they have a lot of money and their reputation precedes themselves. And it's doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. They just find themselves $8 million more in the hole by waiting to fire Scott Frost. Kyle, I'll put it to you this way. If you were in a relationship and you found your girl was calling someone at 2 a.m. in the morning, but you already invested in concert tickets three weeks from now, are you waiting to break up with her after the concert that you already bought the tickets to? Or are you confronting her about those late night calls in the moment? Is this a concert where I have to take her to the concert? Because I feel like if sure, I Sure, you tickets, already put I her on the you... RSVP list. You got VIP passes. This is link what a to whatever your poison is. <laughs> I was going to say, it would have to be a pretty cool concert. I guess, maybe. I, I don't know. Are I you guess. not disgusted? Because that's how the University of Nebraska feels about losing to Georgia Southern. They are so disgusted that they need to just end the relationship there. And I think for the long term, for the betterment of Scott Frost and Nebraska, I think it's in their both best interest to just amicably with $8 million in the pocket, break it off. This is $8 million, so I never have to talk to you again, lay in the same bed, acknowledge you, whatever it may be, just go the other way. This is like the scene in Goodfellas where Paulie gives Ray Liotta's character money and says, I turn my back on you. This is what that moment is for Nebraska and Scott Frost. And sometimes it's better just not double down on mistakes. Just admit you're wrong. It's already a sunk cost. Whatever, just get it over with because it's not going to get better. Obviously, like we mentioned, they're going against number six Oklahoma this week. I think that it's just better just to rip off the Band-Aid than just kind of let it fester because Scott Frost saw the writing on the wall. And part of the problem too is they built up the expectations on this program coming into the year. They said, okay, we were just unlucky last year. We had all these one possession games go wrong, point flips, and next year we'll come back and everything will be fine. And then you lose the game on against Northwestern. Where you were ahead, Frost himself had a big hand to play in that loss with the decision to go for the onside kick. And then you're not prepared to go against this group of five school, this Georgia Southern team, the Sunbelt team. It's just not a good relationship. It started to turn toxic to build up that expectations and just to not meet them. Someone just needed to be held accountable. And it was Scott Frost in this decision. You can't hold the players accountable. So it has to be the coach. Blake, what do you think of the firing of Scott Frost? Well, like you said, I completely agree. You can't hold the players accountable. This is all on Scott Frost. I mean, you have legitimate talent on this roster. Casey Thompson has looked really good. We've seen a lot of flashes from the young quarterback. I think he can be a, a pretty good quarterback in the future for Nebraska. I genuinely think he has the touchdowns last year. Yeah, I mean, he he was a legitimate quarterback. He looked like he belonged as a starting quarterback. Uh, Anthony Grant is one of the better running backs in college football right now. He looks really, really good. He averages over 100 and I think 133, 135 yards per game already. Granted, not the best opponents right now, but you're still one and two. So obviously something isn't going right. So I still want, I think he deserves a lot of credit. I mean, the offensive line is getting battered. I'll acknowledge that the defense does not look very good. I'll also acknowledge that. But again, I think most of that turns all the way back to coaching and, and what Scott Frost has done. So I definitely think it was a necessary move. I'm not sure if I would actually fire him before uh, his, uh, the, the cap hit goes down on our, his payout. Uh, excuse me. Um, so I, I'm not sure if I would totally do that. I think that 
you know, regardless, I don't see a, a path this season where it ends in a success. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they turn it around with a new interim head coach. I'm not too sure. Um, but, you know, if, if there was an opportunity to save money and just roll with Scott Frost for the final four games, I might have taken it in some way. But I'm not going to complain overall. I still think it was a necessary move regardless. And maybe that does help their recruiting. Maybe it brings in a new regime, hopefully, uh, where they have new uh, a new way of attracting new players uh, and, and it works out. But, I mean, as, as for now, I definitely think this – Firing Scott Frost was a very necessary move. And I think player-wise, they have some talent. They they will be okay if they can just get a couple other positions that are obvious gaps in the team right now. What's next for Nebraska? Hopefully making a bowl game eventually, right? I think that's that's what you're hoping for if you're a Nebraska fan. Uh, I mean, right now you're, you're, you're one and two, and it's not looking great. But if you can somehow sneak in six and six in a way this year, maybe with the, with the talent you have on your roster, if that's a possibility, that would be a huge step in helping this program. I mean, last year was about as low as you can get in terms of, of where you were at as a program. So almost anything at this point could be an upgrade, even with a new head coach. Um, so I'm not leaving out the idea of Nebraska having a better season this year than last year. Uh, and I think that, you know, it, it'd be a, a ideal for them if they were to make at least a bowl game to look like they're making steps forward. Uh, and, um, you know, if you can get a good head coach to settle in eventually and you can get a pretty solid recruiting class, I think then you're looking at being the, the quote unquote contender that you always thought you could uh, in the past. Kyle, what would you do if they beat Oklahoma this weekend? Oh, I would laugh so hard if that happened. That would be so great. That Because then they would probably promote the interim coach to head coach at the end of the season, which would be great because according to Amy Just on Twitter, uh, as interim Mickey Joseph, who is the, the interim for Nebraska, is the first black head coach in any sport in the history of Nebraska, which is another part of the reason why I'm not the biggest fan of Nebraska either. And it would be hilarious if Nebraska won that game, and it would be hilarious if they made a bowl game and it would be hilarious that uh last year nebraska went four and eight and in the big 10 they had a point differential of minus two for the entire season and i think they went one and unluckiest four win team as they define themselves or at least the media Mm -hmm. around lincoln defined them and it would be really funny if they start winning games by three points and it turns out scott frost was costing them six points every single game during the year and Uh, In in terms of what's actually next for Nebraska, because those are kind of jokes, like I always say whenever a coach gets fired at a program, call Jamie Chadwell down at Coastal Carolina. He's super fun. He turned them into a 10-win team. They're like really cool, but I don't know if I would wish Nebraska upon Jamie Chadwell. Hmm, I was listening to Dan Patrick a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about Scott Frost. They were talking about him after the loss in Dublin. And the question mark turned to a guy who's currently in the media coming off a NFL head coaching gig, a guy who's won national championships at the collegiate level. Urban Meyer's name has been thrown around, and I've seen on Twitter, too, damaged goods, or would it be a good hire for this once-dominant program? It's it's a match made in hell because it is exactly the program that Urban Meyer would take. Because basically the thing I said about Urban Meyer is – There is no program that is really good that's desperate enough to hire Urban Meyer, and there is no program that would hire Urban Meyer that Urban Meyer would be willing to take. And this might just be the perfect combo. Is it really desperate enough to hire a guy who has multiple national championships under his belt? Well, unless we've all just forgiven Urban Meyer for like everything that just happened. Not just national championships under his belt. I forgot about co-eds. But anyway, carry on. 
Urban Meyer might be the, I mean, he's now on the Fox pregame show. By the way, I loved the the Nebraska Twitter that said Urban Meyer will be at Nebraska's campus this weekend because big noon kickoff is at Nebraska. I thought that was clever. And unless we've just all like forgiven and forgotten, like the worst head coaching tenure in the history of the NFL, unless like Urban Meyer has somehow magically re- and the cover up at Ohio State and everything that happened at Florida, like unless we've just decided that we're going to forgive and forget again. Again, on Urban Meyer, I don't think the rehab tour is done on Urban Meyer's image where like any major college football program would hire him. And at the same time, well, the Nebraska reason I would be perfect damaged goods here is because coming off the stint at Jacksonville, would recruits look at him in the same light or does he just still have the luxury of being able to flash the two national championship rings? Uh, Blake, you could jump in here, too, on that. Yeah, I mean, uh... It's a tough conversation to have because there's so many problems with Urban Meyer as well, but you also can't really deny the success he's had through college. I definitely think that he would not be the same coach as what he was before for Ohio State and Florida. I never see that happening. Uh, and I think recruits will probably realize that eventually. I don't want to necessarily say he's done in in terms of coaching. I definitely think he has an opportunity somewhere. And Nebraska would make a little bit of sense. But I don't know if he's the best follow-up to Scott Frost after what just happened for your Nebraska fans. I think right now you need a coach who can get gather everyone together, uh, kind of get a hoorah in Nebraska, and, and get at least something going in terms of uh, bowl games, you know, anything. I, I would just look for someone to kind of balance it out. And I think Urban Meyer – Urban Meyer is a big shot uh, that could either go horribly or go great. And I think that's, a, that's too much of a risk for Nebraska to take right now for, it to be, for me to be confident in it. Uh, because I, I definitely think Urban Meyer has a talent, but are recruits going to respect him the way they did before? I don't know. Is he going to be that same coach after what just happened in the NFL? Maybe he just falls apart. There's just so many different factors that I would be worried about if I was a Nebraska fan to hire Urban Meyer. Should he let it breathe more? Would that be the proper solution for Urban? Because we've seen guys like this that go to the media rehab their image or at least stay on the bench. It's kind of similar to what we're seeing in the NFL with former first round quarterbacks going to be on the bench and then coming back as starters years it's later. It's funny that you say that because Urban Meyer's done that twice now. This is his third media trip to rehab his image. <laughs> yeah, but you know, this is a little different coming off the NFL because like you said, it just seemed like there was a headline each and every week. And to a certain respect, I will say that I feel like a lot of people came into that tenure with Jacksonville looking for Urban Meyer to fail, wanting Urban Meyer to fail. So I feel like in some ways, I feel like he didn't really get a fair shot out there. But I do understand that he didn't really have the win equity in the NFL to survive the early season lack of success for the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. And, you know, obviously we're seeing it now. Trevor Lawrence looked a lot, lot better in week one than he did during the entire year with Urban Meyer last year. Uh, I just think, you know, we we look at his track record, obviously winning at Bowling Green, winning at Utah, winning at Florida, winning at Ohio State. Nebraska would be a little bit of a different animal. Nebraska, while it did have its run of success in the early 2000s, aside from that, I mean, it's tough to get recruits to just go to Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, at the end of the day, like this would be a challenge, but I, I think you mentioned something there, Blake, that, it is risky, but isn't sometimes the biggest success stories based off taking huge risk? I would say that I would rather take a risk with him rather than a coach that doesn't have the same resume that he does. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's incorrect. I just think right now for me, I think the last thing Urban Meyer would want in a head coaching gig is an uphill climb. Because uh, I think that he needs something that he that's already established that he can 
almost, you know, get back to being used to being a head coach in college, right? Because it's such a big difference going from the NFL back down to college so soon and, and, and switch a pro from a program like Florida and Ohio State, who are both top tier powerhouses to a Nebraska team who is one of, if not the worst in their conference, right? So it would be a huge uphill climb for Urban Meyer. And we haven't seen him really since the beginning days of Florida and then the early days of Bowling Green ever actually be able to improve a college football program the way he did before. So I definitely think that it would be a big uphill climb for him. And I think for a guy like Urban Meyer, we haven't really seen it in so long. And and after all these problems that he's had in the past and all of these, you know, question marks about him, the fact that he's had to go back to the media several times to kind of clear his name and, and make everyone love him again. I do think that would be a, a big concern, for, at least for Nebraska fans, is, is Urban Meyer capable of bringing a program who is really at the bottom of the barrel right now on the way back up? Because that's, a, that's something we haven't really seen from him in so long. All right, guys, we have another guest joining us this week. Blake Jude. Blake has been on the podcast before. Blake. Go ahead and tell the people where they can find you on social media. I'm everywhere on social media. Uh, if you're interested in my Bengals content, which is what I uh, I do a lot, got my logo and my own t-shirt here. Uh, follow me on Instagram at StripeHypeSensi, uh, where I post all Bengals content on. Uh, but if you want more variety, my Twitter at BlakeJude714. I do pretty much every football there. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of betting stuff this season in football. I'm going to be keeping up with college football, NFL, all of that. So make sure you follow me on my Twitter for all of that content. Check out Blake for all Bengals content, all sporting content. Great draft analyst as well. Follow us on social media at Slump Buster Podcast. Subscribe to the channel. Leave a like on the video and comment about whatever we were talking about in this video. I don't know what it is. This is just going to be a general outro tag. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. Juju Talk Sports. Kyle Ledbetter here. We'll see you next time. You know, as we were setting up segments for the week, getting on guests for the week, we had a look at what happened over the weekend, and it was an exciting weekend in college football. We actually have someone on our roster, on our guest list, that's close to home on one of the biggest upsets in college football, the Marshall, what are you guys, the Raging Herd? Thundering Herd. Thundering Herd. The Marshall Thundering Herd, we are Marshall, advanced to 2-0 and this past weekend with a 26-21 to victory over, who'd they beat, Blake? Notre Dame. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish? Are you talking about the same Notre Dame that was a 20-point favorite going into that matchup? That Notre Dame? Yeah, the team had paid $1.25 million for Marshall to come down and play to beat them by over 20. See, I'm not one to kink shame, but it seems excessive for people to pay $1 million to get beat up like that. Yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy game all around. I mean, I, I think no one really expected this from Marshall. Only one top 10 win in the history of Marshall sports, and that came against Kansas State back in the early 2000s. I mean, this was a game that I think no one expected Marshall to even have a chance in, and a couple of big plays turned into several big plays, and all of a sudden, they, they still a huge win. What do you think is a bigger moment for the university? This win or Matthew McConaughey playing one of your coaches in a movie? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I, I'll be lying if I told you, uh, if I didn't tell you that uh, 
everyone mentions Matthew McConaughey uh, whenever you get a Marshall. It's a big deal. But um, in, in terms of sports, I mean, this is one of the biggest victories that Marshall's ever had, especially in recruiting. They're, they're having it's, it's such a big win for them. They make a lot of money off of this. They prove themselves to be a legit um, contender, uh, at least in the conferences right now. And, and the Sunbelt as a whole is looking so much better and so much bigger at this point. They become one of the more powerhouse groups of the, of the group of five. Um, so I think this is really a huge, uh, a huge moment for Marshall sports, even though Matthew McConaughey was also, also a pretty big deal back whenever he did you are Marshall or we are Marshall. <laughs> well, it's a big story around your part of town, but around the nation, the bigger story is Notre Dame falling to 0-2. Uh, not exactly a great start to the Marcus Freeman era. Kyle, I know you had some thoughts in particular about the hiring of Freeman and now that it is 0-2, what do you make of this current Notre Dame team? I mean, they were just in a game against Ohio State the previous week. What went wrong? So for the full picture of how I felt about Notre Dame, there's very little precedent where a coach gets hired, like promoted within the staff. And the goal of hiring that coach is to kind of preserve the status quo. Um, even before the transfer portal era where players don't have to sit out a year to wait to, to switch schools, it was already an experiment that doesn't really work because you're trying to keep continuity when change is constantly revolving in college football. And even when you try and keep everyone together, it doesn't work. We can point to Manny Diaz at the University of Miami, Clay Helton at USC. The, even Ed Orgeron, who won a national championship at LSU, was promoted as a means to keep continuity. And ultimately, they were bad the first three years Orgeron was there. And then all of a sudden, they um, hired an NFL offensive coordinator and took advantage of the recruiting portal, the recruiting portal and all sorts of stuff. But it was and ultimately he got fired two years later. So if not for that one year, that one was a bit of a flop, too. And so going into this case, I thought Marcus Freeman wasn't really on the hot coaching candidate list when it came to college football that cycle now part of that is that college football has a terrible track record in hiring when it comes to diversity and people who don't look like say Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri and so I didn't know exactly where to find that I just didn't see Marcus Freeman's name in any major coaching search and so I felt like Notre Dame was making the mistake of trying to keep it together I backtracked on that when I saw Notre Dame keep Ohio State within uh, about a touchdown up until the very end of the game and their defense looked fantastic uh, and then obviously now they're 0-2. They're headed for a season where they're just trying to make the Music City Bowl. And, you know, Marcus Freeman's recruiting is going to be the thing that ultimately saves or leads to a failure of the Notre Dame program. Because I feel like at this point, the continuity is already broken. Like trying to preserve whatever was there doesn't exist anymore. And so Notre Dame is banking on we made the right hire in, in bringing in Marcus Freeman when they didn't really interview any other candidates other than Freeman. And, you know, personally, I would have followed the model of let's bring in a coach who has proven success somewhere where there's less resources like uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, where took a program that was 10th out of 10 in the Big 12 in budget and ultimately won a Fiesta Bowl like bet on that more than you bet on promoting the person just to keep continuity. And, you know, I feel vindicated, but at the same time, I did backtrack after the Ohio State game because I jumped the gun a little bit. <laughs> or you can always just steal another Cincinnati coach, right? Yeah. I mean, Luke Fickle's got to leave at some point, right? Unless he's going to be like the Gary Patterson of Cincinnati. He's going he's gonna to leave at some point. 
So what do you do? Do you just kind of keep Marcus Freeman around? How much leash does this guy have? Well, he he definitely has this year. Anything that happens this year is fine. I think that he gets the standard three to four years of any college football coach. And I don't know what the the bar is at Notre Dame, but Notre Dame should probably, similar to your boys over at Texas, uh, Notre Dame should probably lower their expectations a little bit for the next three years. Like if they could get back to being top eight in the country within three years, I think that's a success for like consistently top eight, not like Arkansas last year where they were eight for like five days and then immediately fell like if they can stay consistently in the top 10 three years from now I think that's a relative success given the state of the program and they were just put in a tough position because Brian Kelly is you know statistically the greatest coach in the history of Notre Dame football other than Newt Rockney a hundred years ago so like you were always going to have a bit of a regression when someone like Brian Kelly leaves your leaves your school yeah Blake obviously it was shocking that they even lost the game but was there any positive takeaways that the Irish can like get from week two? Well, it really hurts that you lose your starting quarterback for the foreseeable future. That's definitely a big loss for Notre Dame, but they still do have a great defense. I didn't think the defense was the biggest problem for this team. I, I really thought all around Marshall um, had a couple of good plays on offense, especially during the run, but Marshall had to do everything they could to avoid that insane defensive line that Notre Dame has. Uh, a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of motion, a lot of players trying to get around the D-line. It was clear that on defense, they were completely outmatched by Notre Dame, and I I think it's very, very promising for Irish fans who might hope that they can maybe finish nine and three at the end of this season. Clearly, Marshall looked to avoid their defensive line. Clearly, they were worried about Brandon Joseph, their starting star safety. There were a lot of problems that Marshall did face against this Notre Dame defense. A lot of points did at the end come off big turnovers. We had the pick six by Stephen Gilmore to kind of seal the game at the end and a couple of other picks later on in the game to really, I think, seal that win as a whole you know this is a game that had Notre Dame had a bit of a better offense this probably wasn't gonna this probably was it wouldn't wouldn't have been a competition at all unfortunately they you know not much offense was going well for them right now you know Tyler Buchner their starting quarterback did not have a great game uh, had a lot of struggling moments um, he found Michael Mayer a couple times in the end zone and there was a couple moments in the game where he looked and said all right they're getting they're getting it together now they're all good they just need to put it all together and unfortunately after they found that one big touchdown Marshall came right back down and punched him in the mouth. And I think that kind of ruined any bit of consistency they had in their team. Uh, and as a whole, I think that's what really ended up, I think, changing the tide of the game was that Notre Dame could not find any momentum or any uh, consistency in their offense. And I think uh, once that kind of happened, it just kind of snowballed into being what, it being what it was. And all of a sudden, Marshall pulled off one of the biggest upsets in the history of the school. So if you ask me, I thought Marshall or I thought Notre Dame was the better team. Marshall looked great and did a great job of game planning. I think simply they were out coached and that might be concerning for Marcus Freeman but at the same time uh, I do think this is a moment where they could he's a new coach he can learn he can fix things then I think you play this game nine times out of ten Notre Dame's winning the football game so I'm not too concerned about Notre Dame in their future I just think this was a game that was almost a trap game and for Marcus Freeman who's a new coach he was bound to have one of these games coming up soon I think uh, and it just so happened to be the week after Ohio State which is brutal. You don't worry that this could hurt his credibility in recruiting because you start becoming a punchline, unfortunately, when you use the group of five schools. I definitely think it could hurt his recruiting prowess uh, to an extent. Um, but I also think Notre Dame's to powerhouse in recruiting anyways. There's always going to be recruits who go there no matter what happens. So maybe it does hurt it to a certain extent, but I still think this is going to keep a team at least in the top 15 for the foreseeable future in recruiting, at least for now. And uh, I hope that Marcus Freeman can find a way to help, you know, garner more prospects over. Um, and I think that just Notre Dame's 
you know, legacy themselves, I think is what's going to help them a lot for a lot of prospects. They know how good Notre Dame is and how it's been in the in the past. And they know that so many great prospects go there. They see Michael Mayer now. They see Brandon Joseph. They see all these elite prospects. They're still going to be elite prospects. They're going to be first round picks in the NFL. I think people understand that. And I think that they'll still end up going regardless of the losses and problems that they have. You know, it all depends on how Marcus Freeman's able to, you know, pitch to them to come over after losing three straight games to start off his coaching career. But I do think that as long as, you know, they can pick things up and at least finish with nine wins this season I think there is a certain possibility that they'll be able to still get the same amount of prospects they were in the past so Blake Marshall Thundering Herd the next team to get manhandled by Alabama in the first round of the college football playoffs I'm totally ready I'm all in on it I would love it I saw someone earlier predict Marshall to be playing uh, I think it gets for the team, but I saw someone predicting Marshall in the New Year's Six Bowl, and that that really shocked me. I'm really excited about that, but uh, I'm a little a little concerned as well. Uh, I think it could be a really really fun time to see Marshall play against another better team. But I'd be lying to say if I think we thought we had any sort of chance in that game. I would be I'd be shocked, but I'm all here for it. Give me give me Marshall in the New Year's Six Bowl. That would be amazing. At the very least, we might get a movie sequel out of it. <laughs> all right, guys, we have another guest joining us this week. Blake Jude Blake has been on the podcast before. Blake, go ahead and tell the people where they can find you on social media. I'm everywhere on social media. Uh, if you're interested in my Bengals content, which is what I uh, I do a lot, got my logo on my own t-shirt here. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Stripe Hype Cincy, uh, where I post all Bengals content on. Uh, but if you want a f- more variety, my Twitter at BlakeJude714. I do pretty much every football there. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of betting stuff this season in football. I'm going to be keeping up with college football, NFL, all of that. So make sure you follow me on my Twitter for all of that content. Check out Blake for all Bengals content, all sporting content. Great draft analyst as well. Follow us on social media at Slump Buster Podcast. Subscribe to the channel. Leave a like on the video and comment about whatever we were talking about in this video. I don't know what it is. This is just going to be a general outro tag. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. Juju Talk Sports. Kyle Ledbetter here. We'll see you next time.